Okay, well, I just finished watching the uh, Republican presidential debates on Fox, and I'm going to give you my thoughts on the debates, uh, the candidates. But before I do that, I want to talk a little bit about what happened today uh, in the economy and the markets. You know, there was very little discussion about the economy, unfortunately, during the debates. There was a lot of you know, nonsense that was really discussed. I don't know if debated is uh, is, is the proper word for it. Uh, but I'm going to talk about reality, and then I'll focus in on, uh, on that show. Uh, so first of all, before the U.S. market opened, we did get some weak economic data coming out of Europe. All these PMIs uh, uh, numbers that came out came out weaker than expected. But then we got the release of the PMI for the U.S. The flat composite number for August came out this morning uh, just after the market opened. So about 9.45 Eastern time, we got this release. And sure enough, in line with the rest of the world, the number was below estimates. The forecast, and I'm just going to break it down by sector, manufacturing versus service. So they were looking for the manufacturing index to come out at 48.8, and it came out at 47. That's weak. In fact, the range of estimates for that number ranged as high as 49.5, but as low as 47.5. And we actually came in under the low end of that range. So that's a weak number. And the service sector, also weak, not quite as weak, it was supposed to be 52. It came out at 51. Now, anything above 50 is supposed to be expanding. So the service sector just barely, but solid contraction in manufacturing at 47, which I believe is the more important of the two sectors. Even though the service sector is larger, I think manufacturing is, is more important. And I've been talking about the fact that we've been in a manufacturing recession for a long time. And that's where Joe Biden and Donald Trump have something in common, because both presidents lied about the true state of manufacturing. President Trump claimed that he uh, revitalized manufacturing and made America great again by restoring our manufacturing prowess. And now Joe Biden is telling the same lie, that we're having this renaissance in manufacturing, that it's booming, and both presidents were being dishonest. Manufacturing was deteriorating uh, under both of their presidencies, and it continues as we become more and more reliant on imports. It's the foreign factories that are producing the stuff that we consume, not the American factories. Unfortunately, nobody really talked about this uh, in today's debate, and I, I'm going to get to that in a minute. I want to you know, stay focused on, on this. So as soon as that weaker-than-expected data came out, the bond market rallied. Now, why did the bond market rally? Well, the economy is weak. Well, you know, we already know that. But this weak economic data comes out, and traders buy bonds because that's what they've been programmed to do. It's like Pavlov. And, and the dog, right? They salivate at these numbers uh, and, and they, they react. The idea is, oh, the economy is weaker. Oh, the Fed doesn't have to hike as much. 
You know, the Fed might have to cut. You know, well, how many times are you going to react to the same data set? But we got it. And, you know, bonds were at, on the lows. I mean, they had been beaten up pretty bad. So I'm sure some of the uh, longs or the shorts, rather, in the bond market decided to take some profits. And that's probably what kind of drove uh, the movement. But the theory is wrong. And I've been discussing that on this podcast. A weak economy is not good for bonds. The idea is that it just means that the Fed is going to be easier. But that just means that inflation is going to be stronger. The real enemy of bonds is inflation, especially U.S. Treasuries, where it's not really default that is your risk, but devaluation, depreciation, inflation is what drives down the value of the dollar, and that drives down the value of bonds. Again, too much money chasing too few goods, that's what causes prices to go up. Well, if manufacturing is going down, what does that tell you about the supply of goods? Well, it's going down too, or not going up as much as we need it. So you're shrinking the goods that are available to be bought. That means goods prices should go up. At the same time, if the economy really is weakening, the government is ultimately going to run bigger deficits. The Fed's going to have to monetize those deficits. I mean, they're not going to have to, but they will, because if they don't, well, everything's going to collapse. And so we already know that given the choice between allowing a financial crisis or any kind of crisis to happen or printing money, that's what they're going to do. They're going to print money. They're going to create inflation because they think that's the lesser of the two evils, and they have the ability uh, to use that as their kind of, you know, uh, get out of jail free card, except it's not free. It's actually very expensive, but that's what these politicians do. And so a weakening economy leads to bigger deficits. Uh, it leads to ultimately a weaker dollar and, you know, more money printing. And you have more people who are unemployed and not being productive, but taking their unemployment checks or their savings and trying to buy goods and services that they don't help create or produce. And you have more money chasing fewer goods. And so this is inflationary. But in the short run, the markets don't get that. So you got the rally in the bond market. And that kind of was like a domino. Gold rallied about 20 bucks. Again, why? Oh, weak economy means the Fed can cut rates. They think that's bullish for gold. Gold went up. What's bullish for gold is the inflation. That's why this number was bullish for gold, because it means more inflation, not less. It should have been bearish for bonds, too. But the bond traders don't don't get that. But gold was up about 20 bucks. In fact, it's up another five bucks or so this evening as I'm doing this podcast. We're now at about nineteen hundred and twenty. So we were below nineteen hundred uh, this morning. And so now we're we're back above that level. Again, I've been saying on this podcast, that's the support. Anything below 1900 is a pretty strong buy. So far, anything near 2000 is has been a pretty good sell. But I think eventually it's the resistance at 2000 that's going to give way, not the support at 1900. In fact, I think the support is getting stronger as the resistance overhead is getting weaker. So the uh, gold market went up, dollar you know, didn't really make much of a move today. A little bit surprised by that. The stock market was up 
Uh, not a huge move. We'll see what happens tomorrow. The, the NASDAQ, again, was up all day. NVIDIA, right, which is the, you know, the, the leading the, the rally or, you know, the, the poster child for the bubble of uh, AI. NVIDIA was up about 3% today ahead of their earnings, which were released after the close. And I haven't actually looked through those earnings. I know it was a big beat and the stock jumped another 7% or so after hours. So up 10, 11% on the day. Stock above 500, I think, when they stopped the overnight trading, if they even stopped it. But the last I looked at it, it had traded about $502 a share. Never been above 500 before. Uh, this is a new all-time record high in the stock. And so we'll see what happens tomorrow if it can sustain those gains. There have been a lot of days now over the last week or so where tech stocks have rallied but not been able to hold on to those gains and they've sold off or closed lower. So to me, that is a negative sign. It's a sign of some topping. So I think it'll be key to see what happens to the market tomorrow because if the market sells off in the face of this beat, particularly if you get a negative you know, day on NVIDIA, right? If it actually closes in the red, after making a new all-time record high, that could provide strong evidence that this you know, three-week correction uh, that has started, uh, the market peaked about four weeks ago, but that this correction uh, could get a lot more uh, substantial and, and may in fact become officially a bear market. We're still a ways from that, but that could uh, obviously happen. Meanwhile, gold stocks, very strong today. Uh, with a strong price of gold. But again, still trading in the range. I think the GDX, GDXJ were up about 3%. Uh, Bitcoin, everything kind of went up today uh, with bonds going down and, and the idea that maybe the Fed isn't going to be as aggressive. Anyway, I'm going to take a quick break right now. And when I come back, I'm going to start talking uh, about tonight's debates. So stick around. I'll be right back. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. Get smarter about things like saving on travel, because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancier dinner, too. Boosting your credit score, since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. And saving for an emergency fund, because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. All right. Now on to the debates. But before I talk, talk about what happened during the debates, I want to talk about the candidate who was not in the debates. Because on my last podcast, I made an appeal to my audience to donate a dollar to Larry Elder a longtime friend of the Peter Schiff show, uh, used to be, I think, my most popular guest host. Uh, and he is a great talk show host uh, in uh, Southern California that I was a fan of uh, many, many years ago. Um, and I had uh, requested my audience to help this guy get onto the debate stage because he was short about a thousand donations because in order to get into this Fox debate, you needed uh, 40,000 individual donors. They just had to you know, pay a buck and that's all it took. And in fact, some of these candidates were paying people 
as much as $10 to donate a dollar. I mean, I don't even know how that's fair. That seems like you're cheating if you're bribing people. Because if you have to give them $10 to get a dollar, you're actually negative $9. How does that even count as a donation? You know, it's like you, you're minus $9 for every theoretical donation. It's actually a subtraction. So, I mean, obviously, those candidates that had to do that, they were cheating. I mean, technically, I guess it didn't say that you couldn't pay $10 or $100 to get that money, which obviously it doesn't even count as a donation because the donation is supposed to show that somebody supports your campaign and they're willing to give you a buck. If they're taking $9 out of your campaign, they're not supporting you, right? You're supporting them. So, but be that as it may, Larry Elder didn't do that. He got almost to 40,000 all by himself. And then with a little help from me and my, my audience, uh, we pushed him over the top. So thanks to everybody who took the time out to give Larry Elder a dollar. It's unfortunate that the, you know, the crooks uh, that run the Republican Party, which is why I'm very critical of both parties, because the Republicans maybe are just slightly less bad than the Democrats, right? They're all part of the same club there, the, the Demopublicans, the Republicrats. But they decided that they didn't want Larry Elder up on that debate stage. Now, why? I mean, why are they so afraid of having him up there, right? Because they rigged the, the, the criteria. So the criteria was you got to get 40,000 donors. He had that. Thanks to us, we put him over the top. Without this show, I'm confident that he wouldn't have made it, right? Not that he didn't deserve it, but he was running out of time. And it's not easy to get people to give you money honestly, right? Which is what, what, which is what Larry did. Um, but you also had to have, you know, something like 200 donors in 20 states. I forget. You had to, it had to be spread out. That was a secondary criteria. And he did that. He exceeded that. Then you needed to be at least 1% in three national polls, independent polls. So you couldn't commission your own poll, right? And then show that you're 1% in your own poll because you may, you know, you may rig the polls. So the polls had to be independent. And so he submits it. He made it. He was at least 1% in three polls. So he submits his package on time. Everything looks great. And then the Republicans come back and they say, sorry, you didn't make it. Why not? I said, well, one of your polls, the Rasmussen poll, uh, isn't independent, so it doesn't count. Well, what do you mean it's not independent? It's one of the biggest polling uh, companies in the country, Rasmussen. Everybody uses Rasmussen polls. How could you disqualify Rasmussen? And according to the Republicans, they said, well, it's affiliated with the Trump campaign, and so it's not independent. Well, Larry Elder said, wait a minute, I'm not affiliated with the Trump campaign, so it's independent for me. I mean, even if the Trump campaign was behind the poll, what does that have to do with me? It's independent of me. But Rasmussen later came out and said, what are you talking about? Trump had nothing to do with this poll. This is our own poll. It was not coordinated with any campaign. It's totally independent. And so it should count for Larry Elder. No, they don't count it. So you know what Larry Elder did? He said, well, if you're not going to take this poll, I actually made it. I'm actually qualified because there's another national poll that's independent that I'm 1% in. 
I just didn't bother submitting that one because I only needed three and I didn't need overkill with four. So since you rejected one of the polls, I'm going to give you this other poll. And the Republican, you know, Fox News and the Republicans, oh, it's too late. You missed a deadline. You can't bring in that poll. Well, he didn't know he needed it because who would think that a Rasmussen poll wouldn't qualify as a, as a national poll when that's one of the biggest national polls there is? And it turns out it was completely independent. The idea that it was some kind of a Trump campaign uh, poll was BS. And even if Trump was behind it, it was independent of Larry Elder. He had nothing to do with that poll. But the poll showed that he had support. So what, what they what they should have done with this criteria is, you know, to say, you know what, you're close enough. You're right there. Yeah, we're not going to disqualify that. Or because you didn't know that it wasn't independent, we'll allow you to turn in this other poll because you basically met the criteria. Because what they're trying to do is they're trying to make sure that if you're up on that <clears throat> debate stage, that you actually have some shot of winning, even if it's a long shot. So you have to demonstrate that you've got some national support. You got to show that you're in the polls. Otherwise, anybody can say, oh, I'm running for president. Put me up in the debate. I mean, you can't have thousands of people if they just want to claim they're running for president. So you have to have some kind of criteria, but then you have to stand to it. Uh, and they clearly didn't do that <clears throat> with Larry Elder because they did everything they could to keep him out of that debate to the point where he filed a lawsuit. He tried to get a restraining order to stop the debate because he needed to be up there. Now, you know, why they went to sub such lengths to keep him off that stage, I mean, would it have been so terrible if there was a ninth person up on that debate stage? I mean, I don't see how the Republicans are better served because he wasn't there. Uh, I was certainly disappointed that he wasn't there. I would have liked to have heard um, some of the things that Larry Elder might have said, uh, and I didn't get that opportunity, and neither did a lot of other people. The question is why. What What is it about Larry Elder that the Republican establishment dislikes so much that they basically cheated in order to deny him? Because they obviously had to think this up. I mean, what do you mean Rasmussen is an independent? Of course it was. So they were looking for a reason to keep him off that stage. So they made one up. They pretended that he didn't qualify even though he did. Now, at least Larry Elder is not going to claim that it was because he's black, right? Even though he is black, because he doesn't do that BS, right? He knows that it's not a racial thing. It's about his ideas. It's about the fact that he represents a threat. Now, there are a few other candidates up there potentially, or maybe one other uh, that represents a threat to the establishment, but they couldn't keep that guy off the debate stage because he just, you know, clearly uh, met the criteria. It wasn't like they could come up with any kind of BS reason uh, to keep him off. And I'm talking about Vigap, uh, Vivek uh, Ramaswamy. I got to keep mispronouncing uh, his name, Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, but he obviously stood out on that debate stage. And I'll start talking about the debates uh, now. <clears throat> As the anti-establishment candidate, all the other candidates, uh, with the exception, I think, and I didn't know much about um, this one candidate. Uh, and in fact, I can't even remember his name. He's a governor of North Dakota. I got it. Um, let me see who, is, who, he, who he was. I just started um, 
following the guy on on uh, on Twitter or X, but um, I'm talking about Doug Doug Burham, Burham, uh, Burgum Doug Burgum, uh, and I you know and what made you know what piqued my interest in in, in Doug Burgum <clears throat> was his answer uh, on the abortion question <clears throat> because at, you know he had some restrictions on abortions in his state that he signed as governor. But he was asked if he would, you know, if he would sign something like that as president. And he said, absolutely not, because he said the Constitution doesn't delegate that authority to the U.S. government. And he talked about the Tenth Amendment and the fact that the federal government only has the powers that are delegated to it by the Constitution and everything else is retained uh, by the states and by the people. So there's nothing in the Constitution that allows the government to uh, regulate abortion. And so it's not a federal issue. It's a state issue. That's always been my position. That was my position when I ran for the United States Senate, that abortion was none of the federal government's business. It had nothing to do with it, that it was something that each individual state uh, needed to determine on its own. And so I really liked that answer. And that made me look into his background a little bit. And, you know, he really has not been in politics at all. He became governor uh, late in life after a very successful um, private sector career, building up a hell of a tech company, creating a lot of jobs. And, and so that that's actually the kind of person that we need, right? Somebody that doesn't have experience. A lot of people wanted to beat up on Vivek Ramaswamy, especially Chris Christie. Uh, he, maybe he was there that was supposed to take this guy down because going into the debate, uh, Ramaswamy was actually number two uh, in, in, in the polling, right? Although everybody is far away from Trump. And in fact, if you ask me to pick who do I think was the biggest winner tonight, I'd say Trump. I'd say Trump actually won because I don't think he lost any support tonight. And in fact, I'm looking at predicted right now. I pulled up the, you know, the betting site where you, you can place live bets on who's going to get the, the nomination. And Trump's up about two cents on the day. So he, he, he he's 59 cents. He was 57 cents yesterday. So he's actually got a better shot of winning, according to uh, the betting market. Vivek Ramaswamy actually dropped. He was at 20 cents going into tonight. And now he's dropped to 17. That's down three cents. But he's still number two. He's ahead of Ron DeSantis, who I, I think he was probably the big loser because he needed to do something uh, tonight. If he wanted to get back on top to be regarded as the main challenger to Trump, he he, he missed the opportunity. I don't think he but he stood out at all. I mean, I, he didn't make a major mistake. He needed to do something because he's lost a lot of momentum in this campaign. And I can see it slipping away from him. And he was supposed to be the uh, the major alternative to Donald Trump. Right? He was the guy that could beat Biden because he didn't have all the negatives of Trump. Well, he's not going to get an opportunity to beat Biden because he's not even coming close to beating Trump. Anyway, I got another commercial break. So stick around. I got a lot more to talk about. Uh, regarding today's uh, Republican debate. All right, I am talking about tonight's Republican debate on Fox. Obviously, this is the first of many debates, and 
You know, I mean, I don't know. Debates is not really the best world word to describe what you look at. I mean, it's not like Lincoln Douglas up there. You know, everybody's kind of got their talking points and they're trying to get it out there. Um, I mean, I, I have a little bit of experience with a debate. You know, I did debate when I ran for U.S. Senate. In fact, I think my debate is on the Internet. In fact, I'm going to check right here. I forget if it's I think it's on YouTube. Peter Schiff, uh, Senate debate. Let me see. Debate Connecticut. Let me see if it's up there. I have it. I have it. I, yeah, there it is. Um, well, it's in five parts now because I think I posted that. Yeah, it's on my own website. And we probably should probably put them all together. Maybe I'll do that because back when we initially posted this this debate, I don't think you could you couldn't put a long video on YouTube. A lot has changed. So I had to put it up in, in five different parts. I think I'm going to try to put it together and then and then release it. Uh, so you can see how how I did that was and that was my first debate, really. And it was the last time Linda McMahon debated me. I mean, it, this this is the truth. When I ran for Senate, we had one debate and all the papers that covered it said that I won. And that was the last time Linda McMahon would debate me. Now, she went on to win the nomination of the Republican Party and then lose to to Blumenthal in the general election. Uh, but uh, after experiencing that debate, she was that was it. You know, I, I had a few couple of debates later on with Rob Simmons because, you know, he, he, you know, we were we were trailing. She was number one. And so she wouldn't debate. She probably would have debated Rob Simmons by himself. But as long as I was there. She wasn't going to debate anybody. And so she couldn't just debate Rob Simmons. So she debated me. In fact, she was so afraid of me when we, we when we did our, our 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 run. Normally, when you have the convention in, in, in the state of Connecticut, at the convention, the candidates make a speech to the attendees, you know, all the delegates to try to get their support. That's normally how a convention goes, except for the 2010 convention with me. Linda McMahon used her influence to change the rules so that no candidate could actually speak to the delegates. Imagine that. You're here to nominate the candidates. And Linda's like, hey, Peter Schiff's a good speaker. How do I keep him off the stage? Well, let's make it so nobody can speak. Well, then what are you going to do? Well, she said, well, you got to have a five-minute video. Uh, That's all you can do. You can put up a five-minute video. Now, if you go to my YouTube channel now, the video that plays, the introduction, that was part of my five-minute video. That's where I got it. I pulled it from my five-minute video that we we were supposed to play in front of the, the delegates. But here's what happened. So Linda McMahon is up there, and they play her video. Rob Simmons, they play his video. Then when they come to my video, oh, the projector broke down. Oh, my God. How could that be? And so I didn't even get a video. So not only did I not get to address the the um, the delegates, they didn't even get to see my video. And so then they vote. And I, I probably would have got enough votes to get on the ballot. But Linda McMahon had all of her you know minions running around, scaring all the Republicans about how I wanted to legalize heroin. You know, that wasn't even part of my campaign. Yeah, I'm against the war on drugs, but I never actually spoke about any of that in my stump speeches. That was not like my big issue, right? I wasn't, you know, trying to go there. You have to pick your battles, right? And the battles I picked were not legalizing heroin. 
But yeah, obviously in my history, I had said something about, yeah, drugs you know, should be decriminalized. And so I ended up not quite getting enough delegates. I almost made it, but I didn't quite get the delegates I needed. And then I kind of, you know, released them. The people started voting for, uh, uh, I think, Rob or somebody else. So I ended up not getting enough votes uh, at the um, at, at the convention. So then I had a petition to get on the ballot. And I became the first person in the history of the state of Connecticut to petition his way onto a ballot. I had to collect all these signatures. It cost me like 100, 150 grand out of my pocket, right? to get all these signatures so that I can be on the ballot, right? Only to lose. But then the media, just like they did now, they conspired against me because they never really, again, they never polled it accurately. Going into the debates, I was at 3% and I got more than 20%. So the, 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 the obviously, how can the polls be that wrong? How can they say you're at 3% and you get 20%? And I actually would have got more than 20% had people not thought I was at 3%. Because so many people thought that a vote for me was a wasted vote. How can this guy possibly win? He's down at three percent. So I, I, I you know, I, I'm going to vote for Linda because I don't like uh, Simmons, or I'm going to vote for Simmons because I don't like Linda. The only one I like is Peter Schiff, but he can't win, right? So the, you know, the Republican establishment just kind of like conspired against me, and and so did the media. Local media didn't cover me, and so they're doing kind of you know the same thing uh, with Elder or other people. Uh, but the reason I brought it up is, like, you know, I do have some experience in a political debate. That was the only one I did. I mean, so I was a novice at it. Um, but I think I did a pretty good job. So, you know, if you want to see how I did, you can go and uh, and check out and check out this uh, this debate on YouTube. You can either watch it in eight parts, or you can wait for me to re-upload it, and um, I'll um, I'll do it all in one in one video. But anyway, so getting back to tonight's debate, so it seemed like there were two people that everybody wanted to attack. One of them wasn't there, Donald Trump, right? So there are a lot of people that were beaten up on Trump. And, you know, I don't think that, you know, that, that, that helped anybody out, right? Because, you know, Trump, A, he's got a lot of supporters. And if you're hoping to... Uh, convince some of Trump's supporters to vote for you, which is what all these guys need. The only chance these guys have is not to take votes away from each other. They got to take them away from Trump. And Trump's supporters are pretty damn loyal. But you're not going to get them by attacking their guy. Uh, and so if you become an enemy of Trump, you're not getting any of his supporters. And so you don't have a chance. Because fighting for everybody else's voters is going to get you nowhere because nobody else has enough votes. In fact, I didn't even mention this and I haven't had a chance to see it, but you know, Donald Trump, as I said last time, skipped the debate, which was a smart move for him to have done. I, I probably, I don't know if I'd have done the same thing because I like debating. So I might've ignored the advice of my campaign staff and gone there anyway, but Trump is probably you know smarter than that, I guess. And he, he, he took advice from people who told him, you got nothing to win. When you're so far ahead, right, why give anybody a chance to catch you, right? Let all your competitors fight amongst themselves, stay above the fray, which is what he did. He stayed above the fray, and I think he won by doing that, but he did something even smarter. He went on Tucker Carlson on Twitter. I'm sure 
Way more people watch the debate. In fact, I, I'm, I, if you go to Twitter, let me, let me, let me look. I think I, I, um, I pulled that up. I don't know how many millions of people have watched that debate on Twitter. Let me see. Go to Tucker Carlson. But I bet, I bet it's a, a ridiculous amount of people. Here, 88.7 million people. There's no way that that debate got even a fraction of the number of people that uh, watched that. And it happened at the same time. So, I mean, that was that was a coup for Trump, but I'm sure it was as big a coup, if not more, for Tucker Carlson because he was able to steal the ratings from the network that canned him, Fox. So this was a, you know, a, a, a double uh, victory for, for those guys. Uh, and I haven't watched the um, the Tucker interview. I'm going to watch it, and I'll probably comment on it on the next uh, next podcast. So uh, taking shots at at Trump didn't work. And of course, the guy that took the most shots was Chris Christie. And I, you know, he isn't going to win anything. I mean, this, you know, I, Chris Christie is a long shot. In fact, looking at the poll on uh, predicted, he was at seven cents yesterday. He's down to four cents. So by spending his time attacking Trump and then attacking Ramaswamy, right? I'm gonna get to that. He ended up just losing support. It didn't. It didn't work out for him, you know. So, but may, maybe by him being the attacker, he's just sacrificing himself because he thinks maybe it'll benefit somebody else. Maybe he's the, the attack dog and he's trying to help uh, Ron DeSantis, right, to, to, to gain in the polls by doing his dirty work or something. But it certainly isn't working for him. But the other person that was being attacked was Vivek Ramaswamy. And he was attacked not only by Chris Christie, but by... The, uh, some of the other candidates. It even seemed like the uh, the panel, the, the moderators were kind of against him. But he's clearly the biggest outsider in this race. You know, and one of the things that they're trying to uh, say about him is, well, you know, you don't have any experience. What kind of experience do you have? I mean, you've you've never been in elected office. As far as I'm concerned, that's a plus. Because all these career politicians yeah, they got plenty of experience, the exact kind of experience we don't want, right? They have experience running up the debt, spending money, right? That's their experience. I mean, look, you know, you look at Mike Pence, you know, what did he do as vice president? You know, look at the explosion of debt. And he was in uh, the Senate. I mean, he was signing on to all these, you know, big spending programs. They didn't balance any budgets. They didn't, they didn't cut any spending. None of these career politicians uh, did anything because the country is a disaster. I mean, they wanted to criticize the Biden economy, and obviously there are Republicans and Biden's a Democrat, but the economy didn't just get bad under Biden. It wasn't great under Trump either, as much as they want to pretend that it was. We've been in a decline for a long time, and both parties have blood on their hands as far as who's you know, been bludgeoning it to death. But Vivek Ramaswamy, he doesn't have any experience 
in Washington. And that's precisely why sending him to Washington makes more sense than sending these guys back to repeat the mistakes that they've already made. Yeah, everybody promises, oh, yeah, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. It never happens. It doesn't change. These guys are politicians. They just, you know, they just say whatever they're going to say to get elected. It's all a bunch of, of BS. And Ramaswamy, again, you know, his heart's in the right place. I don't necessarily agree with everything he says. There's a lot of things that he says that I agree with. And, and in some cases, he's right about stuff, but not precisely for the right reasons. But he's on the right track. He understands, like Ronald Reagan, that the government is the problem, not the solution. The solution to the problem is getting rid of government, right? Limiting the size of government. He wants to do that. He wants to make government a lot smaller. He wants to cut spending. He wants to eliminate agencies and departments, you know, and, and that's good. That's a positive thing. So people are criticizing this guy because he doesn't have enough experience. That's the best thing about him. He doesn't have experience wrecking the country, right? He, he doesn't have experience lying. He's an honest guy from the private sector. Now he's pretty young, but he's achieved a lot in, in, in his young life. Now, Initially, I again, I thought they were all career politicians because the guy from um, from North Dakota was a, a governor, but he just became governor later in life. Uh, now, that guy, I think, is on paper probably the best candidate on the field, right? Of all those people, the one to me that looks the most electable and I keep, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta um, re, um, remember this guy's name because I keep, um, I mean, he's so new, right? I gotta, I gotta, is, yeah, Doug Bergman. I think he's the most electable. I think he looks very presidential. I like his story. Uh, I mean, the only thing he's got that isn't, you know, like perfect is his height. You know, I mean, although not many of these guys have any stature as far as that's concerned. He's only 5'8", you know, and generally it's tough to get elected. I mean, it's a very superstitious thing, but, you know, being taller is an advantage uh, uh, to getting elected president, just historically, especially modern, ever since television. If you look at the heights of the presidents, you know, they're six feet, six one, six two. Trump was 6'3". I mean, maybe once in a while, Barack Obama, I think, was 5'11 and a half, so it was or, but I mean, they're all around six feet, maybe slight 5'11", 6'1", 6'2". So when you get, you know, get down to 5'8", Ramaswamy's 5'7". Um, you know, I mean, that, you know, that's a minor point. But other than other than that, I mean, I, if this guy was 6'1", 6'2", I'd say he'd be perfect as far as, you know, a guy who looks uh, like a president. He's a nice looking guy, just enough age uh, to have uh, experience and to instill confidence. He's got a great uh, success story, middle America. He's got a little experience uh, as governor, right? Governors make good presidential candidates. He still can run as an outsider because he's outside the beltway. He's outside Washington. So he can still say, I want to shake things up. But he hasn't spent his life in politics. He spent his life in the private sector building up a successful business. So I think he would you know, crush um, Biden in an election. I mean, absolutely crush him. I think people would, would would look at him and vote for him 
if he got if he got uh, the nomination. Now, if the Republicans see that, that this guy to me now, I don't know about skeletons that might be in his closet, but to me, he looks like a very electable guy. Uh, I think he's going to appeal to the moderates uh, who are going to have confidence in this guy, giving his upbringing and, and what he's accomplished and that he can run uh, as an outsider. Uh, you know, and and almost like, hey, both parties have screwed up, and he he has a good record to run on in uh, in North Dakota of cutting government spending and lowering taxes at the same time, balancing the budget, uh, and, and so he he to me could be like a Ronald Reagan type guy who you know ran a state and you know comes in to win. So that he would be the candidate. He's still very low. In fact, I don't think. He's even gone up much on the um, the predicted. Yeah, Doug Bergman. Yeah, he's at one cent. He's a ninety-nine to one long shot, and he didn't even, he didn't even go to two cents. I mean, he's still like underneath the radar. I would have thought that a few people might have seen that guy, and um, you know that he would get a little bit more popular. Now maybe he will. Maybe this you know the betting is not you know immediate. I think I think it will give him a little boost. Uh, I didn't even know who he was, right, in, until uh, until I saw him in the debate. Uh, but that, you know, that's why it would have been good for Larry Elder to be up there because he might have said something that you know clicked with somebody who didn't know about him, and they would have you know gone and and looked him up, and he just was denied that opportunity. But I think I think he's the best candidate now, as far as somebody who could, you know, also be a spoiler and not a spoiler or you know just throw a monkey wrench into the whole situation and it kind of as an unknown is Vivek Ramaswamy. I mean, in a way, he's almost like a Ross Perot, right? Because he's a bit quirky uh, and, you know, he's embracing that. I mean, first of all, I mean, he's not quirky because he's just Indian, but, you know, he's like a like a tech geek, right? You know, he's a skinny guy. He talks about, you know, he's short too. So he's not your typical uh, president. In fact, you know, we've never had an, a, 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 an Indian uh, president. Now he was born here, so he's born in America, uh, but his parents were all born in India, and so he's really the, the, the son of immigrants. Which I don't even know if we've had a president who was who, who was first generation in in this country. I mean, I could be wrong. I forget where you know what about Obama. I forget about what his his back. You know, there's a, a lot of controversy into that, and I forget where. But 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 normally uh, you're not going to have that, and it's certainly you know. Uh, India. Now, there's a lot of uh, Indians uh, in the United States. I mean, I'm not sure number wise, but, you know, I, there's a lot of them and they're they're very successful. So he can obviously, you know, drum up a lot of support in that community and raise a lot of money. And he's got a lot of money. Uh, so money is not going to be a problem for this guy. I think his net worth is around a billion dollars, which is a pretty good net worth for a guy, you know, 38 years old. I mean, it's a pretty good net worth for any guy. You know, even if they're 98 years old, but he made a lot of money at a very young age and he's willing to spend some of that money on this campaign. So he's going to be a factor as long as he wants to be around. And I think, you know, there's enough truth in what he's saying, which is a lot of truth. And the economy is a mess. And for the same reason that people took a chance on Trump in um, 2016 they'd be willing to take a chance on him. The biggest problem is we already have a successful billionaire uh, uh, who you could vote for. 
Donald Trump. So he's appealing to the Trump voters. It's hard to get the Trump voters because Trump's got them. So as long as Trump's in the race, there's not a lot of oxygen, I think, for Vivek to really uh, go much higher. And I think Trump probably likes the fact that, that, that he's there because it just reinforces the fact that you need a businessman, you need an outsider. Now, he's been in office, but he was only there that one time, and he has a, a very good story, uh, especially how, you know, how the corruption has affected him after he left. And at least Vivek uh, uh, Ramaswamy is standing up for Trump. And he is criticizing strongly uh, the uh, illegal vendetta against Trump by the Biden administration, by the Justice Department, and by a lot of these other, uh, you know, states that are, you know, indicted him four times now. Uh, and, And so he's, you know, he's helping Trump because he's there in the debates as a Trump advocate. I mean, maybe he's, uh, you know, trying to negotiate for a VP spot, you know, uh, two businessmen uh, running. Uh, That would probably be, uh, you know, a good ticket, I guess. I mean, you know, it's not that balanced, but it's it's more of an outsider thing. But I think that he's going to pick up some support from DeSantis or some of these other guys, because let's say you like the idea of a Trump, but you just don't like Trump. I mean, you like a businessman, but just not Trump. For whatever reason, you know, Trump has done something to upset you, or you just don't think Trump can win because he's so despised uh, among the, the independents or the Democrats, but you want a guy like Trump, well, then you can vote for Vivek. You don't have to settle for DeSantis or Tim Scott or Chris Kiss Christie or Mike Pence. You've got Trump light. You've got somebody who's like Trump, but isn't Trump in Ramaswamy. So I think as long as he's in the race, I think it's going to be almost impossible for any of the other candidates to get enough support to be a threat to Trump. And and so all of this is basically, you know, a almost like The Apprentice. Donald Trump is going to look at the uh, 2024 field of candidates like he's running The Apprentice. And these are all the people who are trying to interview for the VP slot. And he's just watching to see if he wants to pick his VP from these guys or if he wants to pick somebody else. Now, we know he's not going to take take Pence again, right? I mean, so that that's not, it's not going to be a repeat of, of Trunk Pence. So Pence is out. So he's not going anywhere. Uh, but yeah, I think he's going to sit back and enjoy the show and just keep on collecting uh, donations. And, and, and uh, you know, obviously he's got to deal with uh, his legal issues. And, of course, if he wins, well, that's just going to really help him. And, I, I mean, it, it may even help him if he loses. Uh, you know, I, 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 either way, all this is going to help him get the nomination. How it helps him in the general election. I think the Democrats believe that their best chance of winning is to have Trump as their opponent. They may believe that's their only chance of winning. And so that that may be their reverse psychology. They're charging him with these crimes, not because they're trying to stop him from running, but because they want him to run. See, Trump wants to say, hey, they're just trying to attack me 
because I'm their leading opponent. They only want to wound him enough to lose in the general election. They don't want to kill him to the point where he loses the nomination. They want him to get the nomination. They just don't want him to win the White House again. And so they're thinking that they're going to damage him just enough so that Biden can beat him, but not enough so that any of these other Republicans can beat him. Uh, and I still think that that might backfire, that Trump can win. But again, I think the candidate that's most likely win. I mean, Vivek is an interesting guy, but you know, there may be some guys that don't want to take a chance on him. Well, you don't have any government experience or you're too young or, you know, but I think that Doug Bergman, unless he's got some um, weird skeleton, you know, that like a Gary Hart, like some, you know, crazy affair is going to come out or some scandal that they can dig up some dirt on this guy. I mean, he looks pretty clean to me. I mean, this, you know, th this is who, uh, the Republicans should get behind if they don't want Donald Trump, but they want to win. But it's not just about winning. It's about making a difference. If you just want to have another Republican in office to preside over the demise of the country, there's a lot of Republicans you could choose from. You know, I want somebody who's going to be a game changer. I mean, I had hoped that Trump might be that person. I, you know, I, I, I knew that, you know, he might not. I, I wasn't like, I wasn't so surprised when he turned out, uh, to be more like a traditional politician than how he campaigned. Uh, but at least there was a shot. But no, the deficits got bigger, government got bigger, we went deeper into debt, and America was further from greatness when he left office than when he came in. Now, it would have been worse if Hillary Clinton would have won. I'm not saying that, you know, he, you know, he did a, you know, he he did a worse job than she would have done. No, she would have done it way worse. And there were things that he did well that Hillary Clinton never would have done, right? But I, I, we need a game changer. We're, we're in a lot of trouble here. The country is in much worse shape than any of these candidates led on. Um, yeah, I think the one candidate that kind of spoke to that the most was Vivek. He talked about, hey, it's not morning in America. There's some, we're, we're at a crossroads. Things are pretty bad. They are, you know? And I think average Americans know that they're bad. They don't believe the BS. They didn't believe the BS coming from the Obama administration. That's what hurt Hillary. That's one of the reasons that Trump won, because Trump told the truth about how bad things were. It's just that once he got elected, he stopped telling the truth because he pretended things were great. But as a candidate, he connected with everybody who was being fed a bunch of BS from the government. Well, same thing is happening again with the Biden administration trying to sell people on this Bidenomics, whatever the hell that is. I mean, what's Bidenomics? Spending a bunch of other people's money, running up the debt, destroying the economy. That's Bidenomics. Why are you, you know, why are you proud of that? It's not like he's, you know, some genius to come up with this, you know, Bidenomics. Uh, but we, we need somebody that can turn this around in a substantive way to actually substantially cut government spending, you know, eliminating agencies and departments. And, and, and he's at least talking about that. And so he could connect with people in that way. And so could he win if Trump wasn't the nominee and it was Vivek Ramawasri? Yeah, I think he could win. Um, he is a little bit riskier candidate. Uh, and so it's possible that more people wouldn't 
want to take a chance on him. Now, some people are very desperate and they'd be willing to do it, but I think he could win too. And, you know, I would be hopeful that if we got a guy like that in the White House, that once he got there, he might be more concerned about doing what's right than about securing a second term, right? That, you know, because Trump, people thought, oh, he's going to do great in his second term. You, you, you may not get a second term. You know, you got a shot. You're in the White House. His best shot was the first two years when he had the Republican Congress, and he squandered that. So would this guy make the same mistake if he had uh, a Republican Congress? Uh, would he squander that opportunity, or would he really be a game changer? Would he really do a lot of the things he's talking about doing uh, on the campaign trail. You know, as, as an American, I, I would be very hopeful that that would be the case. But anyway, uh, that's kind of my take on this debate. Again, I wish Larry Elder was there. Not that I think it would have made a difference. Uh, you know, he's not going to eat into Trump's support. Uh, but I think he it would have been good to get him out there. I think more people need to know about Larry Elder. Uh, I, I agree with him on, on so many things. Uh, he, he's a great educator. And so it would have been nice to have had him up on the debate stage. Uh, hopefully he'll make uh, the next debate. Uh, you know, eventually the field is going to, you know, whittle down a bit. I mean, I don't think anybody really just completely blew themselves up. Uh, any kind of major gaffes. I mean, the questions, I think Fox did a bad job on the questions. I mean, asking him about space aliens or other kind of things. I mean, too much of attention on Trump. Uh, and and all that nonsense when I mean, why talk about the guy that's not even there, you know, talk about substantive issues, but they don't even know uh, the right questions to ask because these guys don't even really understand uh, the problems. And that's that's part of the problem. Uh, but we'll see how they do uh, in, uh, in in future debates. Uh, I think Biden probably thought this was great because. Nobody took uh, any meaningful hits at Trump. So if Biden is hoping for a rematch against the guy he already beat, I think uh, uh, tonight's debate just makes it even more likely uh, that we're going to have a, a repeat of the prior election, hopefully with a different outcome, right? I mean, yes, I mean, I've got my criticism of Trump, <laughs> but I'd much rather see him uh, do the Grover Cleveland and be the first president since Grover Cleveland to serve two non-consecutive terms. Grover Cleveland, one of the best presidents we've ever had, one of my favorites. So Donald Trump has a lot to live up to if he's going to try to follow in those footsteps. So maybe some of uh, the ghosts of Cleveland would, would rub off on, on Trump in, in his second turn. And anyway, that's, for, uh, that's it for tonight. Uh, I'll be back uh, probably later in the week, uh, maybe the weekend uh, for another podcast. So until then, take care.